This is the Radio DNS Hybrid Radio Podcast, with the information you need about hybrid radio development around the world. Hello, I'm Nick Piggott, I'm the Project Director of Radio DNS. In this episode, our attention is on hybrid radio in the USA. Many of you will already know what hybrid radio is, but for those who don't, it's the seamless combination of broadcast radio and IP technologies to create a better experience of radio. And Radio DNS is the organisation that creates open standards for hybrid radio globally. And there's no doubt that the USA is a tremendously important global market, both for radio and vehicles. The US has one of the highest percentage of in-car radio listening in the world, which creates an important relationship between the future of radio and the future of cars. We know that the future of both involves more use of IP technologies, and it's the arrival of connected cars that will create the ideal environment for hybrid radio. And just this fall, Audi launched hybrid radio in its portfolio, of connected vehicles in North America, meaning real Americans driving in their daily lives are beginning to experience the next generation of radio. I have three influential people from the radio and automotive industry joining me to talk about hybrid radio in the USA. John Vermeer is the Executive Vice President of Digital Distribution and Platform Partnerships at iHeartMedia. Mike Cooney is the Vice President of Engineering and Chief Technical Officer at Beasley Media and Rick Whittemore is the Connected Vehicle Portfolio Manager for Audi of America. And thank you all for joining us. I'd like to start with just an observation that it seems like radio and the automotive industry are working together more closely than they ever have done. Why do you think that is? John, what's your thoughts on why we find ourselves even sitting here today having this kind of conversation? That is a a fantastic question. I I think that the radio and the automotive industries have you know had natural alignment really for the better part of the past century and i think that really over these last 10 years or so um, as we've seen uh, enhancements within the automotive space from an infotainment perspective um, you know increasing digitization of platforms um, new tools uh, and technologies that allow sort of new ways of enjoying audio experiences in the car as that has come to the forefront there's become even more of an imperative uh, for the broadcast radio and automotive industries to work together. So I think a lot of it has to do with alignment of, of incentives um, and uh, seeing opportunities to innovate in ways that potentially uh, you know, weren't even necessary in the past, but that are now very much possibilities given the new tools that we have available. Mike, I'll come to you next um, with, with pretty much the same question and, and, and also ask you if you kind of can pinpoint a, a moment in time or a technology when uh, radio and the automotive industry started to actually have to talk to each other rather than just kind of traveling on two very separate paths. Well, first off, John uh, had a great answer and alluded to that, and I agree with exactly what he said. And a few years ago, um, the NAB, National Association of Broadcasters here in the United States, decided that we needed to have a better relationship with the automakers than uh, than we currently had. And so an uh, NAB auto committee was created, and uh, I was a member of that committee. And that helped with uh, some of the outreach between the radio industry and the auto industry. But uh, I think over the last 15 years, you know, the broadcast industries had a strong commitment to digital. You know, I think the auto industry started to embrace uh, HD radio technology, and it shows in the number of cars they've uh, rolled out. So I think that helped our relationship. But um, as John said, I think with the way the dashboard has been changing is what's, you know, 
defined the need just in the last few years to that we that we get to have a closer relationship or need a closer relationship yeah yeah and i think that probably leads really usefully into a question for rick i guess which is what what's different about radio now and why is it coming into um, your area and needing and uh, an interest from uh, manufacturers like Audi into wanting to spend more time looking at radio. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right, Nick. From a uh, automotive manufacturer perspective, you know, radio has been in the car almost you know forever from the beginning, um, and and then it was supplemented by some of these fixed media opportunities like eight track tapes started in the mid sixties, followed by cassette tapes and CDs. So there's been this complement to radio for a while, but with the introduction of a connected car, these legacy options were replaced by digital options such as Bluetooth and USB and apps, but radio continued to remain very convenient and easy to use for the driver since radio was integrated into the driving experience. So while radio is a very important choice, um, making that listening experience um, sort of integrated across those sources is also an objective. And I think it's useful for us to kind of hear what each organization's ambitions for the audio experience for drivers in the connected car is. Um, And I wonder if I can come to you first, Mike, and just get a sense of what you would like radio in a connected car to deliver to to the driver to the listener that um, kind of traditional one-way broadcast radio isn't delivering at the moment i think you know the whole the whole connectivity thing where uh the back channel is you know so important in what we currently don't have and also the, you know the data pipe that this very small data pipe that we currently have with hd radio it just doesn't give us many options and so um obviously the the two-way communication of the connected car is a big positive. You know, as the dashboard gets more and more crowded with, you know, entertainment systems, uh, you know, information entertainment services, broadcasters, you know, it's more and more important for us to stay competitive by being live and local and having a relationship with our listeners. And uh, if we want to compete against those other services, we need to continue to embrace that. I think it's important to, to kind of, double click on on something that Rick was saying too about the, the types of um, content in the car and, and choice and we, we think about radio though as being a, a slightly different type of audio experience uh, radio for us is companionship so it's the relationship that exists between the listener and the honor personality it's, it's much more about connecting the listener to the world so yes the the dash you know will continue to evolve and uh, I agree with Rick entirely that you know we should give consumer choice, um, but you know the the consumer will always crave that that form of companionship. And so when you talk about two way communication, you know we've had that with radio for a number of years. It it just used to be in the form of a listener calling into a radio station over the phone talking to a personality, whereas now there are digital tools, for example, with social media, where we're uh, allowing listeners to engage with their stations and with the personality. So as the car evolves, potentially there will be more opportunities to do that through those platforms as well. Rick, you've heard two people from the radio industry kind of give you a vision of what they would like radio to be like in the connected car. What what does your vision look like and how well does it tie up with those? Right from out. Audi perspective, first and foremost, we want the customer to have just a wonderful listening experience and listening environment. 
And what that means is a comfortable cabin and a high quality audio sonic experience. Um, and secondly, we want the customer to be able to, to easily and safely access that preferred source of, of audio. Um, but with specifically regard to radio, you know, it was always limited to that reception area. And when you left the area, your audio signal got noisy and then dropped out. So you had this mobility of the car and the immobility of the radio signal in the area. Uh, but with this connected vehicle, what the Audi AG engineers with our technical partners such as Radio DNS and content partners such as iHeartRadio and Beasley Media and others, we've been able to solve that dropout problem through the introduction of hybrid radio. And what that allows them to do is, is as John said, is that lets the driver keep that companion and that local experience and that contextual experience with them as they as they travel throughout their day. And that's with them all the time. So from an Audi perspective, our minimum experience for a radio station is to display the station logo and the station name. And that can be obtained these days via the online connection. And with regard to some of that uh, visual content, you know, that album art, that song, and the album cover is also an addition that we would like uh, to bring into the experience. And um, we've, we've talked a bit about, um, you know, your experience of working with radio. Um, I think it's interesting to understand um, how you find working with the radio industry, which is um, a, a quite kind of uh, disparate group of companies spread all over the globe um, with working with an organisation like Spotify or SiriusXM where you have one single organisation. Can you give us in, some sort of insight into um, how that differs, how the working relationships between those kind of two different worlds differ? Yeah, and I think you... you made a big uh, distinction there. And the fundamental distinction is that when you're working with somebody, you know, like a Spotify or a Sirius XM radio, you know, that's a closed ecosystem. That's something that they have control over end to end. And it allows them to be very specific um, in their requests. And it allows them to innovate uh, pretty quickly when compared to the radio industry. Because in the radio industry, you need standards to roll out these features in a global manner. So new features only get implemented um, on the broadcaster side when they see enough receivers, when they see enough demand. Um, so I think that's, that is the fundamental difference is that you've got a consortium that needs to come around and agree on things. And then you have some single entities that are very focused uh, on delivering that single product and making their vision very clear to the OEMs about how they'd like their product to look. And what we have done from an Audi perspective is blend those two requests so that when you're driving, you know, at 80 miles an hour, that you can have those two sources react in the same way so that the volume, the channel station, changing stations, the look and the feel, in an Audi vehicle is pretty consistent across those two sources. And it just makes it easy for the driver to use that particular source. John, um, Rick's just kind of explained their uh, a vision for how they like radio to be in their vehicles. How do you see the radio industry 
being able to respond to some of those challenges of, of providing a bit more consistency of experience for uh, auto manufacturers who want to implement radio well in the car. Yeah, the point about ease of use and simplicity, I think, is is key in all of this. Uh, you get in a car, you flip a switch, or not even, you just get in a car and do an ignition cycle and, and the radio starts playing. I think organizations like Radio DNS that are you know, creating um, a set of standards for the radio industry more broadly to follow, um, I think are absolutely the right path forward. Um, and again, starting with the very, very simple blocking and tackling, the building blocks of creating a better visual experience to make the radio, um, you know, to, man to maintain competitiveness in the dash with other digital services. Um, but I think, you know, something like a high resolution uh, station logo or album artwork, you know, those are very non-controversial, uh, very, you know, blocking and tackling sorts of things that I think organizations like Radio DNS can really help us with. Mike, what's your sense of the amount of effort that's involved with meeting some of these expectations? And, and do you think there's a, a proper understanding of, of how, how much resource that is maybe on the automotive side? And when you're working out where to pull that resource from, what other things are you having to take into consideration? You know, from an implementation standpoint, um, you know, we, as broadcasters, we were not on the same page a lot. And, and I feel like we've gotten more and more uh, where we're having consortiums and meetings and groups where we have the same, uh, seem to have the same end goal. And that's for the betterment of radio. And um, I didn't realize how diverse the automakers were and how competitive they still were. <laughs> and uh, so speaking, it's hard to uh, speak with one voice to the auto industry because you know you have to meet with multiple people so that's one of the challenges i've seen there but from an implementation standpoint i feel like we're ready to uh to, to have it be a good experience for the for the listener and for the consumer could you kind of give us a, a potted idea of why having a live radio personality in a studio with a microphone and some music makes it difficult to deliver um, accurate visual information into a car in the way that Spotify might. We tend to try to be spontaneous and live local and, you know, and deal with whatever make, you know, change. We don't have a script. We don't have a, you know, set liner and a set, you know, set amount of time that someone's going to speak. You know, we found time and time again, the listeners coming back from Sirius XM and those type of services back to radio because they want the, the relationships, you know, and live and local. And so, Streaming, you know, has its own challenges in the sense of timing, you know, it messes up contesting and stuff. And so some of the synchronization that will be done with Audi, while it's a great listener experience, it, it will complicate some things for us. John, up till now, we've talked about very much that live and local experience of radio. I guess uh, every radio company is looking at how it increases the overall share of time it has in the entire audio market. And that means moving into um, uh, things like podcasting and on-demand audio and making things available to listen again. How do you see that growing alongside what you're trying to do with broadcast radio? And how would you like that presented and delivered to the driver in a car? Yeah, so our answer to that a number of years ago uh, was the advent of the iHeartRadio digital service. So right now, the, the experience between broadcast radio and then app experiences, so iHeartRadio, right now that's, that's a bifurcated um, experience. So 
we do certainly want the the consumers to have the opportunity to go into an iHeartRadio app experience and navigate content as they choose. Um, but we also think that there remains tremendous demand for the simplicity of that broadcast radio over the air experience. So um, you know, it's all about giving the consumer that that choice to navigate as they see fit. What you started um, when you were explaining the uh, the functionality that Audi's implemented around hybrid radio um, by explaining the function that I think you call range extending, but it's the implementation of being able to switch between between broadcast and IP, which seems like a really good idea. But I think as we've got into the implementation of that, we found it to be a little bit more complicated. So Mike, can you kind of take us through why that is more complicated to implement? Sure. You know, and it is several parts to it, but the, the complication in the U.S. is, is uh, of it is driven by performance fees, and we have to manage those fees, or you know they could literally drive us out of business. Um, one thing we've learned over the years also is that not all cars perform at the same you know the same level, and you know different tuners, different manufacturers. You know where the, the broadcast signal may end in one car is different where it ends in another, and so we as broadcasters would like to be involved in setting the standards for when the switching does happen from the stream and, and back and forth. And um, ultimately, you know, we need a flexible approach to managing the streams, you know, in the hybrid radio. And we also, you know, need the lowest possible cost for broadcasters and OEMs and the drivers. That's really helpful to explain that background, Mike. Rick, if I can come to you and kind of ask you how you feel that Audi can be seen as being you know, a good partner in this environment. You've, you've created a great piece of functionality. Um, it's fabulous for the driver, but it shifts some more weight, some more cost onto the broadcasters that is new for them um, and probably at the moment is a little bit unknown. So can you kind of explain how you feel Audi can be you know, a good citizen in this area? Uh, sure. So the concept behind hybrid radio, I'm going to talk about a couple of layers here. The first layer is really that basic experience of showing the station ID and the logo. And then the next level up from that is being able to show the album art. And in an Audi vehicle, we use a digital fingerprint of the audio stream to automatically identify that song and then populate the now playing screen with that song information and the album art. So the experience in an Audi vehicle is similar to other sources. And then when we talk about this seamless transition or the uh, automatic switching, the challenge is that the broadcast stream and the IP stream don't line up in terms of timing and volume. So the difficulty or the challenge from an Audi engineering perspective is how do you compensate for this difference between the broadcast stream and the IP stream? And, and it could be between five and 30 seconds because you don't want that jarring change between the broadcast stream and the IP stream. And the same thing applies to the volume. Uh, switching from the broadcast stream to the IP stream, and if you left the volume at the same level, it could go to zero or it could blast you out of the cabin. What that involves is minimizing the amount of time you need to listen to that IP stream 
before you do the transition. And that's where we acknowledge and recognize uh, that that IP stream has a cost and it's our responsibility to minimize the amount of time we access that stream that's not being consumed by the consumer. Um, and it gets to be, you know, maybe a minute's worth of uh, dual listening before that switch takes place. And, and that's probably at the extreme. So, so that's what we did as an OEM, as an auto manufacturer, to take care and recognize that that IP stream uh, has a cost to it to the broadcasters. John, it would be helpful to know um, why or how an organization like iHeart is able to um, apportion cost and manage streaming within your own app environment um, differently to streaming that's provided um, to, for use the way that it is in the Audi, essentially to it patch over holes in broadcast or to extend the range of broadcast. Why are those two usage models of apparently the same stream actually different for an organization like iHeart? So I should disclaim this all by starting with I am not an engineer by trade. <laughs> so, so I will give you uh, the sort of the business version of this. Um, but so, I mean, just, just looking at it philosophically, um, digital listening has all been additive for broadcast radio over these past 15 or 20 years, uh, really since the advent of the simulcast stream. Um, the car, of course, is a slightly different environment in that, uh, you know, broadcast radio has been the simple form of accessing that content in the car for, you know, for many, many, many years. Um, and so while we're able to reportion or create separate digital host names uh, so that we can monitor the digital traffic, uh, it is important to us both from, from a business model perspective for us, but also for a sensitivity to the consumer who has to pay for the connectivity um, you know, if the content's being delivered over the stream, it's really important to us that we're being, you know, responsible and um, that we're managing those costs appropriately. I don't know if that that answers your question, Nick, but that was my my attempt. <laughs> and that's that's really helpful, John. Um, so, Rick, you going back to um, something you said earlier about uh, getting visual content for the radio station and the and the way that you've chosen to approach that at the moment is uh, by using a service that, that fingerprints the audio and then finds the visuals relating to that audio. Is that is that your ideal solution or are you hoping that you would get more of that visual content from radio stations and what you're doing at the moment is essentially a backfill to make up for a gap left by the radio industry? What we know is that the bandwidth of that broadcast station is relatively low in order, you know, it's not made to carry additional data. Um, so that visual content, such as album art, isn't available on the broadcast stream. So from an Audi perspective and a user experience, we've decided that it's important as a way to enhance that radio experience to use that digital fingerprinting technology to bring in that song information and the album art just to enhance that user experience in an Audi vehicle. And presumably that visual accompaniment is more on a par with the visual accompaniment that people would get if they are listening to Spotify or if they're listening to SiriusXM or if they're using um, an integrated app, they'll, they'll be getting those kind of visuals. So to not do that would leave radio looking um, much less visually appealing. Yeah, and as the technology went from the linear tuner 
to you know a visual display and would put radio at a disadvantage if we didn't do that. I think it's um, good to kind of look ahead again at what might be happening in the connected car. And uh, it seems pretty clear that Google is making a play to offer a uh, dashboard solution to the automotive industry with Android Automotive. And that has uh, an interesting effect on what happens with radio in the car. John, what's what's your view on, you talked earlier about this bifurcated experience between broadcast radio and the iHeartRadio app. Um, if Android Automotive allows you to um, join those two things back together again, what's your view on where you'll go with that? So I think a lot of this will come down to the automotive manufacturers themselves and, and folks like Rick and what strategy they choose to pursue. But again, if the consumer wants a free over-the-air experience, then let's provide them with that. And if they want a digitally delivered experience uh, through an app provider, let's give them that option as well. I just want to end by getting a sense amongst us about how well we're communicating uh, about change, because there's clearly a lot of change happening in the radio industry and there's a lot of change happening in the automotive industry. Rick, do you feel that you know enough about the radio industry to um, make kind of instinctively informed decisions about what new good features you could add to Audi vehicles? Well, I think our teams that are working with the radio industry, I'm not one that works directly with them, uh, have a good working relationship uh, with the radio industry. I'm sure that can be improved uh, to maybe be more transparent in terms of where we're going on each side. But my biggest challenge, uh, having a product that's customer facing and maybe the radio industry is facing it too, is being able to communicate those changes to the customers so that the customers adopt those new innovations and take advantage of the things uh, that we've uh, produced and put in the car. You know, how do I break through the noise to let people know that, hey, you know, hybrid radio is here and take advantage of it. It's really cool. Benefit of both the OEM as well as the broadcast industry. Mike, do you feel like you have got a hotline into the automotive industry to make good technical decisions about what you do next with your resources? Honestly, probably no. You know, it's um, like I said, the auto industry is a big industry. And so we're constantly trying to you know, improve that. But I think what we have found is that when we sometimes when we try to give input on technical input on how we'd like to see something work in the you know from a from a radio standpoint there's a difference between the automakers and of course the, the people building the radios which are, are usually not the same people also and so it's really hard to uh to get input on that and have it be implemented rick's comments a little bit ago he was talking about services and that they didn't think radio was good enough for artist images and that kind of thing feel like we can do a better job of sending our own images and controlling our own content. And I think we need to be in editorial control of our content. And so it does concern me that the audio implementation is going to decide what images to match and how to match them and the broadcaster is not. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's, uh, an observation we've heard from broadcasters in many countries that there's a risk of adding layers over the top um, to try and make everything consistent, but in the process of doing that, you lose the dedicated things that, that some broadcasters are doing. So I do, I do think that is an, an issue that will um, be heard in, in many different places. 
John, I'll come to you last if that's okay. And do you feel that uh, amongst the many partners that you have, that you have a good relationship with the automotive industry? And if there were things that you'd like to improve about it, what would they be? There are certainly always opportunities for improvement. I will I'll start by saying that and acknowledging that. Um, however, I, I do feel that over these past years, um, and really through the service of distributing the iHeartRadio digital product on digital dashboards, that we have developed really strong relationships across the automotive industry, um, which then opened doors to discussions about you know, the broadcast experience or, or other issues that are impacting the, the radio industry um, you know, and the automotive industry together. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is, is that there, are, there is a fair amount of fragmentation within the automotive industry in terms of the types of experiences that are being implemented. And so it does become a, a, a big job to keep up with you know, what platforms are being adopted by which manufacturers, um, which are you know, done in conjunction with third parties and which are entirely homegrown solutions. Um, but it's a challenge that you know, we've chosen um, to, you know, to make sure that we meet because it is such an important uh, part of our business strategically. Um, so always room for improvement, um, but I do think that you know, there, there are good relationships that have been fostered over the last number of years. John, Mike, Rick, thank you so much for your time and for this really open and honest discussion about what it's like working at the interface between the radio industry and the automotive industry. Um, I guess we're all looking forward to seeing more hybrid-enabled vehicles driving around on the roads and freeways of the USA. And, of course, we'll keep everybody up to date with that progress um, on the Radio DNS website and through future editions of the Radio DNS podcast. So with many thanks again to my three guests, that wraps up this edition.